my purpose is to leave our communities in a better place for the next generation, like my niece. Welcome to the Purposeful Story Podcast, where we interview entrepreneurs, drivers, and social impactors who use purpose as the driver to achieve greatness. My name is Kobe Amponsa, and I'm here to provide you with priceless value that will last a lifetime. So let's get right into it. All right, welcome to the Purposeful Story Podcast. Today we have Akeem Gardner on the show. He is the co-founder and CEO of Atlas365, and this dude is a driven entrepreneur, um, social entrepreneur, I'd like to say. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's definitely mm-hmm. committed to taking lead in the industry, the hemp industry specifically, um, and he's taken huge leaps in action to bring positive change to climate issues, um, reducing those carbon footprints globally, um, and he's doing it in such a, in a very interesting way that creates a win-win for everybody, mm-hmm. um, and I believe in what Akeem's doing so much that I actually personally invested in his company. So Akeem, mm-hmm. thanks for coming on the show. Today. Uh, thank you for having me, man. I appreciate it. And I appreciate all your support thus far as we're going on this entrepreneurial journey. We know it's not easy. We need the people around us to help support us. So thank you for having me. No worries. No worries. So Akeem, first off, um, how are you doing during these times, man? It's, 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 it's interesting times, times mm-hmm. we never expected to be in, but mm-hmm. how are you adapting? Mm-hmm. Uh, like everyone else, I go for lots of walks, walks with, with the dogs, uh, working from home. I have my niece at home. So I have a little, a little, um, work buddy coming into the room, jumping in during meetings sometimes. Um, but, Things are going okay. Um, luckily, we're in we're in agriculture at the core of our business, and so in the winter months and in early spring, it's a lot of office work. It's a lot of virtual work at home. So um, much of our team hasn't been very much affected. But going, uh, uh, getting ready to head into, um, I want to say early summer, May June times, we're gonna have to be ready to get back on the farm plant. Um, and ready our ready ourselves for a nice uh, nice summer. It, it's 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 interesting times. I told them one of the I was telling one of the farmers that I started farming two years ago, three years ago. This is my third year. So two years ago we had a drought in the summertime. Last year we had a super wet spring, so it was hard to get our crop in the ground. And this year we have COVID, so I'm being challenged every year into the in the business. But it's it's good. It's fun. Geez, so if you're if you're making it past these three years of those challenges, you're well. You are. Yeah. You already are doing it. So. Yeah. Um, it shows it shows your resilience, man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Gotta stay. So resilient. I want. For sure, man. Mm-hmm. So I want to start off with with Akeem's early beginnings. Where were you born and where were you raised? So I was born in Oshawa, but I grew up in Brampton. I've been in Brampton my whole life. Um, I went to high school at St. Marguerite DeVille. And then I went to University of Ottawa, played basketball there. And then I did law school in the United Kingdom. Graduated and came back in 2017. Cool. That, mm-hmm. was, that was a fast, quick review. But... <laughs> 
you know when you so mm-hmm. when you when you played basketball so you you know mm-hmm. every every dude had had hoop dreams right mm-hmm. even mm-hmm. my hoop dreams ended from early <laughs> grade nine trials mm-hmm. i seen these dudes mm-hmm. i'm like yo i'm not ready for this life mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know you earlier in, in high school i'm sure you had dreams to i mean goals to actually make it to to the nba is that like how at what point were you like okay i need to kind of pivot like when did that happen for you um i don't think the even as i went into high school even as even when it was clear that i wasn't making the nba i don't think that goal ever left my mind right okay. uh, these days you see the most craziest journeys where where people go undrafted they go to europe and then they end up making the nba um not to say that I thought that that was going to be my goal, but I never really took that end goal out of mind. I always knew that I wanted to be the best, the player that I could be. I knew I, I thought I was talented. I knew I worked hard, and I wanted to play and compete at the highest level possible. So I never really took that out of my mind as a pivot. But instead, um, and fortunately enough, we had coaches um, when we were younger that always told us, uh, and my parents always told us to make basketball and make the sports work for you, make it take you where you want to go in life. So I always said that I want to be the best player that I can be. And I'm, if I'm going to use basketball to get a scholarship at University of Ottawa, I'll do that. If I'll use basketball as a tool to travel Europe and play and hopefully try to play professionally in Europe. I didn't play professionally in Europe, but just using basketball as that kind of tool, I always had that sort of mindset um even when i went to university of ottawa and i had good grades in high school i was going there primarily because i wanted to play basketball not because i knew what i wanted to do with school got you got you mm-hmm. it's interesting you say that because even in basketball um there's just a realm of different opportunities other than just playing basketball right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there's so many different facets to the basketball organizations that people can be a part of mm-hmm. that they tend to overlook, mm-hmm. right? So um, it's interesting that you you sort of took that mindset. I'm going to use basketball as a tool to really hone in what I want to do. So mm-hmm. what made you decide to um, go into law? What, what, well, what triggered that? Well, it's like what you just said. Um, not taking that goal of the NBA out of my mind, I realized uh, soon after at Auto- I was done at Ottawa U that there were other ways that I can get to the NBA, right? And um, after I finished that Ottawa U, I coached at Ryerson for a year. I realized that coaching was okay, but I don't think that that's necessarily what I want to do. But I think I would be good at br- putting team together, bringing people together, and so I went on the NBA.com and started looking at who all the general managers were and realized that they all had LLBs or Bachelor of Laws. They were all lawyers. Uh, Adam Silver was a lawyer. Dave Stern was a lawyer. So I was like, okay, I can get to the NBA, but I need to go to law school. I so, didn't know that. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was still that goal of basketball, and it was still that goal of the NBA that led me to go to law school. And then funny enough, going to law school and the journey that I went on, me all the tools that I needed to become an entrepreneur when I got back home. Fair enough. Okay. So you went to law school um, mm-hmm. and you went from Ottawa to to Europe, I believe? Yep. To, I w- went to school in a town called Canterbury, Kent, uh, southeast of London, like 45 minutes southeast of London. And what made you want to take the leap out to 
a place that you've probably never been to in your whole entire life mm-hmm. um, from an area that you're comfortable in you grew up in like you could have went to anywhere within Canada but you chose to go like on another continent what what made you do that oh there was a, a, a whole bunch of reasons but I'll give you two two quick um, pushes over the hump was when I realized that, that I wanted to go to law school I knew that there was an opportunity to go overseas and do it in two years in less time that it would take to as uh, in a Canadian school and I didn't have to write the LSAT uh, to do it like that. I had previous people in my past talk, talk to me about their experience over in Europe and I had been over to Europe during my time at Ottawa U. So I knew what the vibe was. I knew it was interesting. It was far, but I knew it would be sort of like an adventure. And then one of my f- friends from um, back here, he told me that he was thinking about going to law school over there. He was a paralegal and he wanted to go get his law degree to become a lawyer. So I was like, Oh man, if he's doing it, I could go too. Uh, we ended up going to different schools, um, um, but it was just those two things gave me the confidence to say, hey, if, uh, I, I think I was, what, 24 when I applied. I went and, uh, I went when I was 25, and I said, uh, this is the one last adventure that I could have in life because when I come home, it's real world from here on out. So. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I commend you on that, man, because most people, they, they want to stay you know, within their environment, but you took that leap. Mm-hmm. Um, so what what did you learn from um, studying abroad and in, in London that really stuck with you today? Um, I would say two things. One, living in a, in a different area of the world, immersing yourself in different culture is always awesome, right? That's an experience that uh, I will never trade for anything. Uh, the world is a small place, but it's a big place, you know? So when you get to go and interact with people, different people and see how they live and see how they communicate, uh, um, it's an awesome experience. So that was the one part that I really, really appreciated from going to school. But the second thing that was really important for me in my personal development was learning how to get out of my own box, uh, I don't, if you don't know if you remember, actually, you probably wouldn't even have noticed, but in high school, I was always the guy in classes, I would be very quiet. I was a smart kid, but I would never put up my hand to answer questions. Um, I was a little bit shy. I would never talk to girls. I would talk to my teammates and guys much more easily than talking to girls. And I would always sit in the back and like let the athletic, cool guy Akeem shine instead of the smart guy Akeem. Uh, same thing happened at Ottawa U. Not as much, uh, again, a little bit more of a bigger box that we were in being at university, but I hated pres- presenting in, cl- in front of classes, didn't like pr- uh, preparing, um, speaking was not my thing. I have a little bit of a stutter. I didn't like it. So when I went to law school, I was like, okay, I'm going to law school. And if I'm going to law school, you're going to be a lawyer. So you have to practice your oral speech. You have to practice your oral presentation. And I made the decision that every time I got an assignment, if I had the choice between a written assignment and an oral assignment, I'm always going to choose the oral assignment. doesn't matter how scared I am. And I did that for my two years at law school. I did every mock trial I could do, every oral argument with the judges that I could do, uh, every negotiation competition that I can do instead of just writing a paper, because I knew I could write a paper. And that has helped me a lot um, 
coming back because it built up some internal confidence that I didn't have when I was in elementary or in high school. Um, it allowed me to, and I'm still a work in progress, but it allowed me to have confidence in myself that I can speak and tell my story and articulate myself. And that some of the ideas that I had in my head weren't dumb ideas. They were ideas that I should feel proud to share to the world. And that made all the difference in who I am today. Got you. Got you. So you finished law school. Um, what, what led you to diving in that entrepreneurship space? Honestly, I don't know. <laughs> I'm a little bit crazy, I guess you could say. I asked like, me and my mom laugh all the time. Like, mom, who told me to be an entrepreneur? I should have just kept on being a lawyer. But um, I'm having the time of my life now. And the trigger was uh, our best friend and business partner, Randy Osa. A lot of people know Randy has his company, Rosie Management. Randy works with professional athletes, um, influencers. He works with big uh, companies like um, from different NBA teams to Yorkdale Malls to HP Canada, so on and so forth. And he does endorsement deals for athletes and connects them to brands and I knew that Randy had this really really good skill at connecting people when I got home in 2017 uh, everyone was so excited about the legalization of marijuana in Canada and Randy had ended up getting a call from some guy uh, not some guy I, I still talk to him to this day but a colleague that we have in the states now I guess we can call him and he was like hey I want to work with you and get some of your athletes in front of these marijuana brands or these cbd brands and randy was like yo this guy's crazy there's no way we could do this the nba is going to stop me right away and be like and like blackball rose management but i was like randy hold on a second we need to take a look at this a little bit deeper because we're going to legalize federally in canada and in the states it's still federally illegal even though state to state it could be legal um, but federally it's illegal it's a controlled substance so we have an advantage in canada especially in the sport world of sports that all these american agencies and managers and athletes wish that they can have in that we're about to be allowed to become public public advocates for this industry so i said to randy uh, we should be looking to see if we can get some of our guys involved Randy's like, Keem, you're still crazy. We can't do this in Rosie Management. The NBA is going to kill me. So I was like, all right, let's start a new company and I'll go explore this. And then one, as soon as we figure it all out, then we can bring the work back to management and then you can do the endorsement deal. Randy was like, okay, cool. And that's how Atlas 365 was born. Interesting. Okay. And can you explain the concept behind Atlas 365? Mm-hmm. So Atlas 365, we've grown a lot over the last two and a half, almost three years. Um, and right now, uh, we're a company, a social enterprise with the mission of improving climate resilience with industrial hemp and modern technology. And when I say climate resilience, what I mean is the ability for um, society, community, humans to withstand changing climate, to withstand um, um the adverse effects of a changing climate in regards to more diseases coming to light, um, more storms, more floods, hurricanes, so on and so forth. As the world changes, as we head into the next decade, we're going to need tools that allow us to change with it 
and allow us to prosper as well. So our focus is using the industrial hemp plant, the diversity of the industrial hemp plant to provide carbon neutral products, um, consumer products to the marketplace, products like um, um, from foods, healthy foods like uh, hemp seeds, seeds, hemp hearts, hemp oil, but also products, um, industrial products like carbon neutral building materials or hempcrete. We have a very specific focus on um, removing carbon out of the construction supply chain by building with plants and our solution of choice is called hempcrete. Interesting concept. And can you explain the difference between, um, like, so when people hear hemp, mm -hmm. you know, they're automatically attributing it to um, marijuana, you know, marijuana, mm -hmm. or it's, it still has that negative connotation. Mm -hmm. Can you explain the difference between the two? Of course. So, Easy, e easy way to way to understand the difference between the two. Marijuana is grown inside indoor cultivation. Well, now people are starting to grow it outdoors. So let me not say that. But the plants are t traditionally much smaller, and they're grown with a, an abundance of THC in it. The marijuana gets you high. Hemp doesn't get you high. It gets you healthy. It also makes the planet healthy. Hemp. Hemp plants grow much taller from six feet to up to 20 feet. They have 0.3% THC in it, but they have an abundance of CBD in it. And because it's spread against THC, the fibers have industrial uses. It can be used for things like, when well, it's been used historically in time for things like rope for sails. It's been used at time of war. And then the wood chips on the inside of the hemp plant uh, called the hemp herd has been used for a number of different things like uh, toilet paper, writing paper, and what we want to use it for is insulation in homes um, because it's a very, very uh, high-performing insulative material that we can use in our houses. Okay. And where are you at within your company in terms of um, implementing all those things and producing all those things that you mentioned. So where we are today is, again, we're getting ready for our, our third year in cul cultivating industrial hemp. And we're actually getting ready to take our supply chain the furthest that we've ever taken it before in that we have a facility that we're looking to purchase to make our home processing facility that should be up running and fully functional come November, which is really exciting for us. And what we're looking to, and we actually just signed a major milestone deal with the Canadian University of Guelph, which will allow us to um, do some really, really unique things with the hemp plant. I can't talk too much about it right now, but we're going to differentiate ourselves from a lot of the licensed producers on the market, utilize our hemp plant in a very, very unique way when it comes to foods and medicines. Um, that's our core focus. Um, and if we can accomplish those two things and bringing our product to market and getting our facility, we'll have a very, very successful 2020. Come the start of 2021, we should have built our first house out of the hemp herd in some in a town in eastern Ontario. So that's right after we end 2020 strong with our food product and our get our processing facility. We'll go right into looking to construct affordable homes. Um, high-performance homes, um, carbon-neutral homes with our hemp materials. 
That's interesting stuff, man. Congrats on on that thank, too. That's major. Thank you. It's a really so exciting time right big, now. Mm-hmm. I'm excited for you, man. Um, so just taking a, a, a step back, even you know, I just remember during that time when um, they were they was like pre announcing that they're gonna legalize weed in Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, there were so many companies coming out, and you know, you decided to. Um, there are so many cannabis companies in general just coming, mm-hmm. but what, what, what made you, I mean, I know you talked about, uh, you know, the opportunity with the NBA and the league and, and just having it something to look at, but, um, is there something deeper that wanted you to go into, to, 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 to hemp? So, well, when we started, when we started, the focus was medical marijuana and uh, responsible use for the athletes. So even where we are today, our the biggest value prop is that if we build products and if we get our products to market, the direct access that we have to some of these high-profile influencers, these high-profile athletes, not a lot of people have it. And Randy is very, very important to our business because of that. It really gave me the confidence to say, if I go figure this out, I know Randy will bring people to the table to allow us to get to market. So when we started, that was the only reason why. Now, when I learned about the industrial hemp plant and that people were already eating hemp seeds in the stores, (coughs) sorry, no COVID, Um, that people were already eating uh, seeds in the stores, um, that it was THC free and that you can do all these amazing things with it. It was no, there was no choice. We were leaving marijuana aside and focusing on hemp because I knew that we were going to have, be able to bring, um, have a bigger impact with the hemp plant. I knew we were going to have less pushback, especially from the major professional leagues, getting athletes involved when we were ready because people could go to their grocery stores and children eat hemp seeds. It's a high source of protein. Um, a lot of people are going vegan right now and they use they eat hemp seeds um, to keep protein in their body. All right, Akeem. So um, what was – you've done an excellent job in terms of raising capital for your, your, your company. Um, what was that process like, just raising capital? How, how did you – you know, I don't think you've raised capital, if I'm not mistaken, for, for in that magnitude before. Um, so take me through that process. What was it like for you? Mm-hmm. Yep, it, oh, that's the hardest thing that you can never you can ever do, <laughs> and we're we're still doing it again. Uh, I have on my my uh, my iPhone screen. The CEO of companies has three jobs: recruiting the best people, sell, set a compelling vision, and never run out of money. And in the world of startups, that means you have to raise money to grow and fund your expansion. So. We're out here. We're still running, raising capital uh, again. We're doing a seed, a seed round right now. We did a friends and family round previously, and we've been working with angel investors. And it is an interesting process that I was completely unprepared for until I was forced to do it. Uh, um, you learn about sales you learn about dealing with people you learn about um communicating your what you have going on in your head 
to in other individuals in a way that they can understand it and understand why this is valuable, why this is an opportunity and how this could help them grow. Um, it was something that I was completely unprepared for uh, until I had to do it. I never went to school for business. I went to school for psychology, philosophy, and then I did law. So I was forced to learn on the fly. I was forced to make mistakes, respond to it, pivot. I was forced, forced to, again, get out of my shell and do something that I've never done before and that I wasn't comfortable with, with doing. And we were able to raise money last year to get us to the point where we are today to continue to fund our growth. And now we're hoping to do another round. Well, not hoping. Now we have to do another round to continue to fund our growth so that we can acquire our property. We can complete our, um, our, the, we can complete putting up our production plant and then we can fund the development of our product, getting it from demonstration scale to commercial scale deployment into the marketplace and we can start to turn consistent revenue. So uh, life of a startup is very, very interesting. It's very, very fun. And I'm learning all of this as we go right now. Cool, man. Cool. So you got to, the one thing I like about Atlas 365 is you got a lot of, you got a big team. You have a big team. It's not like a one man machine. There's a big team mm -hmm. around you and you have a lot of reputable people. Um, on your team as well. Can you take us through um, some of your team members? Uh, so we have a really nice team at Atlas, and I would say that's the one thing that I'm the most proud of because, and that's the one thing that's t t uh, stayed with me for my ro relationship in with sports. And if you remember, I said I went to law school because I thought I wanted to be a general manager and put the team together from an athletic perspective. So it's really, really nice that I get to do it right now and build the team, and I've been able to build the team that we're able to work with to make this happen. So our team starts with our co-founder, Randy Ose. Um, pretty self-explanatory. Randy is, is the ultimate connector. He's the ultimate um, um, partner in this business because he, uh, he sees things in a way that I don't see things. Uh, so we are able to balance out each other. I'm more direct to business sometimes. Uh, Randy is the relationship well, not just the relationship guy, but he's very good at keeping, maintaining, and building relationships. So between myself and Randy, we were able to go out there and sell a number of people on our vision and what we're doing. We have 12 people that we work with right now. Uh, we've been able to build a senior management team that has combined over like 10 years experience with not only growing industrial hemp, but also 10 years experience on senior management and senior management positions. Our COO, she's the best. Um, she came from the Canadian Housing and Mortgage Corporation. Um, our CFO, he's awesome. He's a, a, a thought leader in accounting. He's right from here in the G GTA. Um, and then we have a group of, I don't like to call them students, but they're like former students, recent graduates that have been working with us over the, the last year that we've been grooming into leadership positions as well. They're awesome. Um, we have developed two developers that we work with that are working with us on our tech. They came from Rogers. Um, we have advisors and mentors from 
the Rick, the Peel Rick Center, where I call out my home, my in the incubator that I'm part of, to working at the Brampton Entrepreneurship Center, the advisors there, to advisors um, that we met just doing business that have taken a liking to us and our journey and have said, hey, they want to work with us more in depth than, ju than just a, a random call here and there. They want to help guide us in how we build our company to make sure we're successful. So the core part of Atlas or the biggest strength in Atlas, I think, is, is our ability to build team. Randy and I know what we know, we know what we don't know. And when we don't know something, we try to find, go out there and find someone who has the ability to help us solve the challenges that we don't have the ability to solve our, ourselves. Nice. So what's next for Atlas 365? Oh, so getting through this year, the remainder of this year, 2020, is very very crucial for us whereas we're at that tipping point or that we're at that chasm that we need to cross in order to go from uh, uh, uh i don't want to say pre-revenue startup because we earned, we made money last year but because we need to prove that we can do it again making money one year one year isn't enough so we need to duplicate our efforts we're growing in the amount of acres of hemp that we intend to grow this year. And like I said, we have a facility that we're looking to acquire. Um, that deal should be done within the next 30 days. So we should have a piece of real estate. It's an old maple syrup factory that we're converting into our hemp processing factory that we will own and that we will uh, that will be like our, our core area of business. And that's a really big milestone for us. Um, owning property and owning a facility like that and calling that place home um from there getting through 2020 completing the work that we're doing with the university of Guelph and getting our product to market and getting it uh, qualified as a natural health product by health canada is going to be extremely important for us so just continuing to knock down uh, uh or, or to knock things out step by step um, as we uh, day by day as we go into the end of 2020 or summer 2020 and then the end of 2020 having a really strong end of the year is, is very very important for us because it sets us up greatly to have a very strong decade got you got you all right welcome to the purpose round where we ask the right questions that really bring out the purpose behind our entrepreneurs and their journey. So, Akeem, this round is, is uh, I'm going to ask you a series of questions and they require brief, short answers. Mm -hmm. Two sentences max. Mm -hmm. So what is your purpose? My purpose is to inspire. My purpose is to lead. Um, my purpose is to leave our communities in a better place for the next generation like my niece. Solid. What is an everyday habit that adds value to your purpose? An everyday habit that adds value to my purpose? Uh, funny enough, I listen to podcasts and listening to inspiring podcasts, podcasts that can educate you on the go has been very, very crucial to my development. So that's something that I do. If you could have a conversation with one person living or dead, who would it be and why? It would probably be the late, great Kobe Bryant, rest in peace. And just to continue to get into his mind about his mom of mentality, how he 
maintained such a laser sharp focus when he was an athlete, but then to get a really good understanding of how he pivoted that into his world as an entrepreneur, or as a businessman. What is your main strategy for organizing your day? Uh, well, I use a tool called Trello. Uh, it has a number of different cards that lets me organize tasks, to-do lists, so on and so forth. Um, traditionally, I'm an unorganized guy, but um, another entrepreneur introduced me to Trello, and it's become very, very good at helping me maintain focus on what I need to get done and not done. What was your worst moment, and what did you learn from it? My worst moment was when I invested money into someone who told me they could help my company grow and he wasn't able to do it. I learned that you don't put faith into others to accomplish your dreams for you. You put faith in yourself. And from that moment on, I never paid someone upfront for to for providing a service contract. I always made sure that they proved that they can do what they said they were going to do first before um, giving them the fees to be, whether it's a lawyer, an accountant, or whatever it is. So make sure that they can actually do what they say they can do first before you pay them their money. If, if you had to build a business from the ground up with only $100, how would you leverage that? If I had to build a business with only $100, how would I leverage it? Uh, that's a very interesting question. Uh, if I had only a hundred dollars, actually, if I had to build a business from this, from the beginning, what I would say is I would take full advantage of all the free resources that we have around us that a lot of people don't know, know about. I live in Brampton. The Brampton Entrepreneurship Center is there with a number of advisors who are there to encourage entrepreneurship in Brampton. And they do this for free. They help you understand what grants you're available for, how you can match dollars. So if I had to start from the ground up, I think it would be doing all the research and all the groundwork of what I can get for free before I have to spend money for my business. Got you. So the, so the $100 is free. It's gas money then, basically. <laughs> exactly. Get me downtown Brampton. <laughs> What's the best advice you've ever received? The best advice that I've ever received... I don't know if this is advice, um, but I would say one of the things that stick with me is um, like, you know, that Dwayne Wade commercial fall down seven times, get up eight. And it's mm -hmm. just, um, it's just the quotes like this that just remind you to always be resilient in life. You're always going to get knocked down, but what makes you as a man is how you respond, not how you deal with those low moments. What advice would you give to your 20 year old self? Um, you got a long way to go. <laughs> 20 is not an adulthood. And you're going to figure it out. You just got to keep on going. List your top two most influential books. Um, I'm not going to say top two. Uh, but the book that I, the one that I use every day in business right now is called Never Split the, the Difference, Negotiating as if Your Life Depended on It. It's by an author called Chris Voss, and ha it has a lot of tools in it that you can use um, to make you a better business person or help you in negotiations, because we negotiate all day, every day, even if we don't notice it in life, and I really, really like this book because of that. Tell us something that you think is true about business that most people don't agree with you on. 
what I think is true with business that most people don't agree. Um, okay, I don't know about most people agreeing or not, but I know that business is just like sports, and that's my approach to business. You have to have a team. Um, it takes one to fifteen on a basketball court to win a championship, plus the organization in the back and your general manager, your athletic director, your general manager, and it's the same thing in sports. And if you don't have a good team, it doesn't matter all, all the money in the world. If you have it, um, you're not going to be successful. You're not going to win a championship. Um, the, it takes a team to build. It takes a team to win a championship. And I think that's true in business as well. And is there any last piece of value you can leave with our listeners? Last piece of value, I would say the number one thing that I've learned is is not to give up because things are never as bad as you seem. It seems even when you make the worst mistake in the world, um, Randy and I talk about it all the time. We thought Atlas would be dead months ago uh, and we continue to stay focused and figure out how to add value to our organization. And as long as you continue to add value to your organization, as long as you continue to add value to yourself, as long as you continue to build skills, you always have a way to figure it out. So it's never as bad as you seem. The mistake is never as horrible as you think it is. You just need to calm down, clear your head, and try to figure out how you get from point A where you are now to point B where you want to go. Got you. And how can the Purposeful Story family reach out to you and learn more about your purposeful journey? So you can find me, uh, my website is, or our website is atlas365.ca.com. I'm also on Instagram at 1AKG underscore underscore. You guys can find me there. Um, if you go to our website, you'll find my email and you can reach out to me on email or you can reach out to me on LinkedIn. My LinkedIn is Akeem Gardner. All right, Akeem, I appreciate you coming on the show today. Thank you very much. I appreciate you, and thank you for having me. And thank you, Purposeful Story family, for listening to the Purposeful Story podcast. And remember, live every day with purpose so all your actions are clear. Talk soon. This episode was edited by Clayton Bob of Precise AV Solutions, and the beats were created by DJ Nana. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. All it does is help drive more listeners to the value we're bringing to your eardrums. Thanks again for listening. Talk soon.